This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're standing in the gap in episode number 72. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and today we are going to talk about a question that I get a lot, which is, Kristen, what are your thoughts on child spacing? Before we jump into that, I wanted to share with you, if you're listening to this right now, um, we're recording this in June of 2015, and so if you're listening this month, there is a giveaway going on that I wanted to share with you, and I'm pretty excited that I have three things in this giveaway, uh, but there's a lot more. Um, so it's it's actually called the Healthy Wealthy Wise Giveaway, and you can find out more about it by going to birthbabylife.com slash hww. That's birthbabylife.com slash hww. That'll take you to the giveaway page where you can sign up. And there's actually... There's something like 500 freebies in this giveaway, uh, and three of them are mine. So there are a lot of people who have been contributing to this, and it's been a lot of fun to get together with all these people uh, and give get these these freebies. But there are some that I think are especially uh, intriguing for mamas. So some of the ones that I like are 10 tips on what to say to your say to kids when you don't know what to say. That's from the Happy Home Project, and they also have one that's uh, that's really interesting. Four ways children. Don't don't get what they need and how you can break the cycle. There's easy ways to boost your child's self-esteem from Melissa. There's going to be a Stress Busters webinar. I think it's in mid-June. That's from Rachel Sparks. So if you want to jump in on that, I actually signed up signed up for that one. Um, go ahead and, and sign up for that. Then my three gifts are the natural birth cheat sheet, the ultimate baby sleep crib sheet, and then I also have a work at home mom schedule blueprint because I get asked a lot, how do you fit it all in, Kristen? And that little blueprint will tell you how I fit it all in. Uh, then there's Happy New You from Jennifer Berthelot, and that one is a really good one because I think sometimes as mamas we struggle with happiness, and she talks about that. And then Jennifer's also got What's for Dinner, which is a guide to meal planning and preparation, another thing to save stress for mommies. Why You're Stuck. I haven't read this one, but I'm really interested in it. It's a full-length book from Derek Dopker, and he just kind of talks about what to do when you feel like you're stuck or your life isn't going exactly the way you wanted it to or you're not you're not developing or getting to where you want it in your life. So that one looks good. And then how to get a big goal achieved in 10 weeks or less. That's from Sean Mize. I actually really like Sean Mize's personal development info, and uh, and I've you know, looked at his stuff before, so that's a pretty exciting one to see his name there. And then Julie Bond Genovese, Nothing Short of Joy. That, again, is another full-length book, and it's just kind of her memoir and talking about her lessons in life. And uh, I'm, that one looks really intriguing to read, too. So those are just a few. That's like the handful. I actually went through like all 50 pages of freebies and pulled out those titles for those of you who were interested in them. And if if you want those titles specifically, like you're driving or something, you can't write it down right now, you can just shoot me an email and uh, and I will be happy to be happy to send you that list so that you can look for them. I have the page numbers written down that they were on, but the the page numbers actually change depending on how popular the download is. It moves up in page ranking. So they could have moved. I hope mine were on page five and I hope they've moved up. I haven't checked this morning to see if they moved up overnight or not. But 
Anyways, I can let you know if you're interested in that. If you just want to go sign up and browse through the pages yourself, there's some that have to do with like business and money making, some that have to do with family, some that have to do with health. There's a lot. All of them are freebies. Free downloads are like the stress webinar, free webinars that are coming up and that sort of thing. So you can just check them out. Uh, take what you want and enjoy it. The benefit for us, the participants, are is that we get our name out there and people, more people get, get their eyeballs on us. So that's what's in it for us you get lots of freebies so check it out birthbabylife.com slash hww birthbabylife.com slash hww and that's running through about the end of the month through the end of june 2015 so you've got a month to check it out but if you're listening to this today go ahead and check it out today so you don't forget about it and miss the deadline Uh, birthbabylife.com slash hww Okay, with that, let's jump into the topic that everybody's looking forward to today, talking about child spacing. And I get this a lot. I get this from uh, mama baby birthing students. I get it from smart mama happy baby members. And I get it from people who are just email emailing me because they want my opinion. Uh, you podcast listeners, I've been asked for this several times as a podcast. So I decided I'd tackle it this week. Child spacing... I think it's a, it's like a hot topic for us because we feel like there's disapproval really either way, that if we don't space well enough, there's this disapproval, and if we don't give our child a sibling an X number of months or years, there's this level of disapproval. And I really think that, that the entirety of having children and childbearing and deciding to become a parent, there's just so much approval and disapproval here and there that it's hard It's hard to be a parent today because no matter what you do and no matter what choices you make, somebody's going to feel like it was wrong. And so when I sum this up, I'm going to go ahead and give you you the Cliff's Notes version. When I sum this up, I'm going to tell you to do what's right for your family. Uh, So this is between you and your spouse. This is what's right for your family and not for anybody else's. That's what I'm going to sum up with, so I'm going to give it to you straight right now. But we'll go over a few factors to consider over the course of the podcast before we come back around to that. The first perspective to look at usually that people look at is the medical perspective. So where from a medical standpoint is the recommendation for child spacing? And from a medical standpoint, usually it's it's about 18 months to two years is the recommendation that's given. That recommendation is given to moms who've had a C-section that you want to wait this long. And then it's also given to moms just as kind of a blanket period of time because it gives you, mom, it gives your body some time to rebuild reserves and stores. And I certainly think that that's valid. It gives you time to heal from giving birth, regardless of whether you had a C-section or whether you had a vaginal birth or whether you had a, a medical birth or whether you had drugs or Pitocin or anything. It just gives your body some time off. It also has a benefit, and this is probably the big benefit for me, is that it has a benefit for your child in that your milk supply is probably not going to be compromised Um, because even if you have them at 18 months apart your baby was still uh, you know hitting that 9 10 month point before you got pregnant so chances are your milk supply is going to hold out at least reasonably well until your child is 12 months old and your child is going to be eating a lot of solids at that point too so that's filling in for nutrition so it's not like your milk is the only thing that your baby's getting so the, and then there are other arguments that, you know, the, if you have a longer spacing between children, 
your your children are healthier uh, and there's so there's benefits to your children and then developmentally you're able to devote more time to your child in this that or the other so that is the medical perspective and the medical look on uh, on child spacing and then I don't really intend to go over child spacing methods on this podcast because that is a completely, though related, completely different subject. But uh, but the medical model pretty much says that the way that you achieve that spacing is through birth control. Uh, and generally, I mean, they, they give a nod to condoms, like especially in a monogamous, committed relationship, condoms have a relatively high efficacy rate, right? But generally, they advise that you are going to use some sort of hormonal birth control. And the medical paradigm looks at that as having no no drawbacks, really. There's no cons, only pros. And when we look at this uh, as aware and intelligent parents, um, and as women especially, because those those hormones are going into us, when we look at those as aware consumers, we need to look at the reality of the fact that if a pregnancy is taxing on our body, you know, because, and that's the reason why they'd say we need to use this horm- the hormonal birth control because pregnancy is so taxing on our body. Well, also, what, what are the taxing impacts of hormonal birth control? And again, I don't want to make this a debate about birth control. We can do another podcast on that if, if, you, if you ladies really desire that. But I do just want to point that out, you know, when we're going to be talking about a health perspective, that I, th- I think that that's important to throw out there and not just assume that, that using something like a hormonal birth control would be totally safe, whereas getting pregnant is totally dangerous for whatever reason. Let's, let's think about some other perspectives that are out there, too. And for those of you who, you know, you're trying to eat really well and be more natural about things, that's, that's pretty common among the listeners here on this podcast. Uh, and, and among the visitors to my website in general, it is called Natural Birth and Baby Care After All. But one of the things that we often look at is, is what is best from an overall holistic health perspective and what's best from perhaps like a traditional, a traditional standpoint. So a lot of us, we're fans of the Weston A. Price Foundation and they talk about traditional native diets and native nutrition and how, how good that was for our bodies. And so there's, there is that question that in traditional societies where, where people enjoyed robust health and certainly had less chronic disease than we did today. And when we're thinking about trying to have all this nutrient density and and goodness and such, um, in our, in our food supply, you know, where, where does child spacing fit into that? So, the the consensus there for the Weston A. Price Foundation, I mean, their position on it is that the best child spacing is around three years or more. And they say that in traditional healthy cultures that there was child spacing uh, that was about three years or more. And that that gave mom a chance to completely recover from pregnancy and it gave her time to rebuild her nutrient stores and that it also gave the the child the benefit the the older child it gave the older child the benefit of mom's rich milk and then all that attention the careful attention to weaning foods and everything and that it also gives the new baby 
the full benefit of mom's body and mom's nutritional stores being recharged and uh, and being built up again. So that is that's that perspective. And they say that when you look at traditional societies, that's the kind of spacing that you would normally see. And that in societies where there was, um, you know, where where the the food wasn't so good and stuff, you would see closer spacings. Now then we have to we have to ask what what was responsible for that spacing, and I think that there are principally two things that were responsible for the sp- that spacing in cultures where that that was true, and one of the things was that in many of those cultures there were multiple wives so while one wife had a baby there were cultural even cultural taboos that that made it so that you know the wife who had the baby was kind of off limits until that baby reached a certain age and that the husband would have to satisfy himself with another wife and that is not going to be a viable option for most of us. I know that it certainly wouldn't be a viable option for me. Okay. And then the other thing is that some cultures, just even without having a co-wife or whatever, even without that, there were still cultural regulations uh, and taboos, cultural norms for how long it would be before mom and dad would come together again after the birth of a baby. And of course, abstinence is an effective form of birth control. And so that came into play. The The challenge for a lot of us along those lines is obviously we're not going to go for the co-wife idea. And long periods of abstinence can be stressful on a relationship. And, uh, and so that's something to consider when you consider that. Now, some, some have shorter time periods of abstinence, uh, like, you know, 30 days, 40 days, 80 days. That's though some husbands and even some wives feel like that feels like an eternity. It's not an unusual length of time. And it does give mom's body a lot of time to heal. But still, even with that period of abstinence, we're still really only talking about there's abstinence in the first two to three months of a baby's life. And if you were to get pregnant after that, then that still leaves that spacing close together. So what created that longer spacing for those traditional societies? I think a lot of it was that there was that longer period of taboo or that co-wife taboo mixture going on. And a lot of that isn't just something that's going to work for many of us. Now, another thing that helped them space was breastfeeding. And so we're, we're going to talk about that. But before we move on to that is let's look at this. Let's look at this idea of in order to be really wholesome and holistic and nourishing and traditional for our, our children that we want to follow this spacing and we want to make sure that mom's nutrient reserves aren't you know, aren't down, down too low or whatnot. And is there validity to that? Well, I do think that there is validity to that. Pregnancy is a nutritionally stressful state. It really is. I don't want to sugarcoat that because one of the things that I teach is really important. And if you've listened to any of the uh, Birth Baby Life podcast episodes, you've probably gotten this impression is that I think that nutrition during pregnancy is vitally important. It's important for a multitude of reasons, one of the biggest ones being that it facilitates the expansion of mom's blood supply 
We've been talking about that a lot, the the blood supply aspect of it. I'm teaching a live great pregnancy class series right now or um, a live webinar series, so it's still online. But we're going through that live, and that's one of the things we've talked about. And then in Mama Baby Birthing in this week's class, we talked about preventing postpartum hemorrhage, and we talked about why an expanded blood supply is so important in that regard. So I've talked about this a lot lately. Uh, and pregnancy nutrition facilitates that. So that's really one of the important things about pregnancy nutrition, but also just Eating a good pregnancy diet keeps overall nutrient levels very high so that what baby needs is available to him or her. And that is something that's important to take into consideration. And of course, the Weston A. Price Foundation, their healthy pregnancy diet, they call it the Diet for Pregnant Nursing Mamas, and I can link to that in the show notes. But um, their, and I can also see if I can find any of their child spacing stuff. Um, but, you know, they their pregnant and nursing mom's diet is based upon the brewer diet, which is the pregnancy diet that I recommend. So certainly they recommend that, but they say that still mom's nutrient reserves are depleted, and so she needs to have this long time period between pregnancies. And again, I do think that there's validity to that, but I also think that when you eat a really nourishing diet throughout pregnancy, especially making sure that you're getting in lots of pregnancy superfoods, and we talk about those in all of my classes, the your nutrient reserves aren't nearly as depleted and you're bringing in a lot of external nutrients that your baby gets so that there's not there's not the cannibalization of you and then especially if during the in the postpartum period and in the breastfeeding period uh, and thereafter if you're really working to make sure that you keep your nutrition levels high then your body is going to is going to rebuild its reserves pretty quickly breastfeeding does pull uh, from your body but one of the big things that it pulls is calories and so if you're eating a diet you don't need to eat as much quantity wise as during pregnancy because you're not facilitating that blood volume expansion anymore which is what this those spare calories are really going to during pregnancy but if you keep eating a really nutrient dense diet postpartum then you're really nourishing your body and um and i think that you can overcome some of this and in fact i with my first baby i understood the very basics of good pregnancy diet because my midwife took the time to teach me that but I was coming in to pregnancy off of essentially a starving college student's diet. I mean, my diet pre-pregnancy was very poor. It improved greatly during pregnancy, which is one of the reasons I think I had a great birth and had a healthy baby, though I did have some excess bleeding afterwards, which I believe was nutritional in origin. I just hadn't had the ability to really build myself up uh, or that intense understanding of it. But my second baby, Asher, he came on the heels of his sister pretty close. They're 19 months apart, so I got pregnant pretty soon. And with him, uh, I began to understand even more why a good pregnancy diet was important. And so I kept eating a good pregnancy diet while... I was nursing Cassidy and therefore was already on the diet when I got pregnant with Asher because I had been a little bit underweight before Cassidy and I just wanted to make sure my milk supply stayed what it needed to be and that's what my midwife encouraged me to do was keep eating your pregnancy diet. So I did that. 
Now, when Asher was a baby, I found the Weston A. Price Foundation, and I totally changed the way that our family ate. So I kept those good pregnancy diet principles and incorporated the Weston A. Price Foundation principles. There was a bit more spacing between Asher and Brennan. They're two years apart, but, but, but not that much, you know, not that much more spacing. Two years is still relatively close, but... I ate Weston A. Price all through while I was nursing Asher, and when I got pregnant with Brennan, Asher was about 15 months old. So when I got pregnant with Brennan, and then all through pregnancy, and when I look at my three oldest children, and like I look at markers for nutritional status, like one of them is a wide, broad face, a very wide, broad jaw, um, when I and then markers for more suboptimal nutrition. I don't want to say nutritional deficiency, and I certainly don't want to cause guilt for you ladies. But but when you look at what's going on with them, you can look at my, especially Cassidy has a pretty narrow face. Asher's is a little bit wider, but still has some narrowing. But then Brennan has a really broad face. And then if you look at all the ones who came after, they have really broad faces too. And I believe that even though their spacing was closer ideally than say the Weston A. Price Foundation says because I was being so uh, because I was so focused on their nutrition and focused on optimizing it and optimizing my nutritional reserves they were still able to be robustly healthy kiddos and I had great births with all of them too and I think nutrition played a part in that so what I'm saying is that I think there's validity to the fact that you need to build up nutrition reserves and probably what traditional cultures found and what the Weston A. Price Foundation and everybody teaches uh, is optimal. And it goes along with what the, you know, with what the medical profession says too, is that that spacing should be at least two years. And again, the Weston A. Price Foundation is three years, three to four years is optimal. Gives you enough time to really interact with your little one through those early years and gives you time to rebuild your stores, gives them time to, or, you know, so that they have all of that available to them. So is that an ideal child spacing problem? Probably so, yes. But is your child doomed to poor health or whatever because you didn't space like that? No, I don't think so. So that's that's my take on that. And again, that's totally, that's personal opinion. Obviously, I'm biased because I have some kids who have that long spacing and some kids who don't. Uh, and, and I don't want to think that I've done anything wrong for my kiddos. But if I think that any of my kiddos got shortchanged more than any, it's Cassidy and Asher, as I was first realizing how important nutrient-dense diet is and not the ones that had a, had smaller spacing, so to speak. Okay, let's talk about breastfeeding. Breastfeeding can offer some some contraceptive effect. It can offer child spacing. If you use breastfeeding only for child spacing, well, what what the lactational amenorrhea method teaches or regulations teach is if you nurse unrestricted, no schedules, no pacifiers, no supplemental feedings, you lay down for a nap with your baby during the day and you sleep with your baby at night. Those are, those are kind of the guidelines. Um, and John and Sheila Kipley have this really ecological breastfeeding is what they call it. I'll link to them in the show notes. They have this really down to the principles that you need to follow. Um, because if you really want to make sure that you do it quote unquote right, then you need to look at that. But that gives you six months of infertility pretty much guaranteed and then 
about 14 months is average between all moms who practice ecological breastfeeding. And it varies very much. So I have done what I would say is ecological breastfeeding with all my kids except Sadie. Sadie does take a pacifier here and there. So I can't say that I do ecological breastfeeding with her. But with all of my other kids... Um, I've done ecological breastfeeding and the, the return of my period has been seven months at the earliest and 12 months at the latest. So for me, I'm below average (laughs) Um, and I don't know what that says about me, but it's always been a little bit frustrating to me to think that, you know, I don't get that nice long period of no periods, but that's what it's been for me. But it's still, you know, it's within that average and it's always been after six months. That's always been very true for me and for my body. For some moms, their bodies respond very strongly to breastfeeding and they can't get pregnant when they're breastfeeding, period. So they may go like 24 months or more without a period until they wean their little one even or until breastfeeding levels are so low, you know, the hormone levels from breastfeeding are so low that ovulation can occur and they can cycle again. Um, So... So breastfeeding does offer protective effects. And another way that breastfeeding has effects, and I think that this has been true for me. Uh, So even though I had periods return when Corwin was 12 months old, I wasn't really fertile for months after that because my cycles were really, really irregular. And then I had a really short luteal phase. And we've talked about this in one of the other podcasts where we talked about where we talked about fertility and breastfeeding and and charting and everything like that. And I can link to those podcast episodes in case this is something that you're worried about. But, but breastfeeding and fertility, um, can it can impact fertility even when you're cycling and that your luteal phases will be really short so you might be ovulating but the luteal phase is the second stage of your cycle after ovulation and if it is not long enough then you can't sustain a pregnancy so breastfeeding can impact that so even after your periods return you may still be infertile for a while But it's something that they say, you know, don't bet on. And of course, the official recommendation is that you shouldn't bet on breastfeeding for birth control, period, at all. But again, I suspect that for many women throughout time, breastfeeding has been the birth control that they've had and that that spacing for breastfeeding has been what's going on. And if you hit that average, that 14-month infertility average, well, that does put you at right about a two-year spacing between your children, which is what a, which is what a lot of people like. Um, so it's not quite that three-year-old, three-year spacing, but it is the two-year spacing. So that's something that works for a lot of families. So what about not using any birth control for your child spacing? What are you going to see? Well, if you're breastfeeding, like I said, that 14 month is the average. So six to 14 months, I mean, you know, you could see a a 14 month spacing or you could see a two year spacing or you could see a three year spacing. Um, so though, you know, if you choose to use just breastfeeding as your birth control, that's probably what you're going to see. Now, what if you, what if you use no birth control and breastfeeding isn't on board? Well, then uh, about six to 10 weeks is when many non breastfeeding moms see that their period returns. 
and at which point there might be some of that irregularity that moms see with breastfeeding, so you might not get pregnant right away. But assuming normal fertility, then you could see Irish twins, or you know you could see closer to that 18 month um, and and under spacing. So if we go with no birth control whatsoever, we're probably going to be looking at a closer child spacing, obviously, than if we were to intentionally choose some form of birth control. And what you know what would be the pros and cons of that well some families want to have their kids close together they either want to be done with the baby phase uh, or they want their sibling they want their children to have a sibling very close in age and so that's what they look at uh, and so that's coming from more where we're, where we're not necessarily looking at it from a health perspective but we're looking at it more from a relationship perspective or another thing that causes some families to want to start trying right away is especially if infertility was a big thing with the older child and you know that it took a long time some families want to start trying right away because they anticipate that it'll take a long time though I have met several mothers in that situation who it took them a long time to get pregnant with their first and then whoa all of a sudden they got pregnant really fast with their second and were really really surprised by it so uh, you know, so that, and this gets really into, into the societal norms and other people. So other people always have an opinion on child spacing. I mean, if you list, say, if you listen to the government in the United States, they tell you, space your children out. Consider having fewer children. If you talk to the government in some European countries, say, I think Denmark is one of them then they encourage you have babies and I'm not sure actually what the spacing that they recommend is um but have babies they want you to have babies and they want you to have a few babies uh, we we have a friend who we know online Scott and I know online we play a game with him and he's in Denmark and he has four kids and he gets like a little government stipend every month because they want them to have babies because they're experiencing essentially zero population growth which isn't good for a country no matter what they say about the world population if we look at countries and their population growth in general population growth is correlated with prosperity positively and uh, low population growth is correlated with prosperity negatively so but where we are in the world and what people's view on us and our child spacing is very much depends on what's going on in our country politically. It depends on what was going on with the generation before. Uh, so like baby boomers, they're, they're often happier to see babies uh, coming along, whereas those who were, you know, those who are coming after, we're not quite so happy sometimes to see babies coming along because our society fundamentally changed. Mothers went out to the workforce in droves, and I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong in this podcast, but the ability to work became a lot more important to moms, and so therefore uh, baby spacing did. And of course, all of it has been said in the name of of more liberation and more freedom for women because they're less tied down with children or more children equals more tied down. And obviously, everybody listening here realizes that I have a bias. Or if you don't, I have a bias because I have seven kids. Uh, so, you know, I like children, though I will admit as much as any mom that I need a break from my kids sometimes. And sometimes they stress me out. And sometimes I think I was nuts when I had seven kids. But on the whole, 
I really like children and I really like motherhood. I like other things. I love teaching you ladies uh, on this podcast in my classes. I love writing for my website. I mean, that would be what I would consider my career. And even though it has to do with children and babies and pregnancy and all of that, that is not what it is. It's very different. So I can understand wanting career fulfillment and all of that as well. Um, and I can understand the strain when you're considering how would another baby impact that. But what I, I guess what I'm telling you here is coming back again as we get ready to close out the episode to what I said at the very beginning of the episode, that you need to look beyond all those societal norms. You need to look beyond the opinions of other people. I, I encourage you really even to look beyond the opinions of the medical establishment, of the holistic child spacers, all of those people. You can take all of those opinions into account, but what you need to do is is you need to search your heart because what really matters the most is, is your heart ready for another child? Uh, and we, we could talk about money and all of that stuff too, but, but, but I think that, you know, you can usually find a way, uh, regardless of the money. If you're a responsible parent, if you're resourceful, if you really care about your children, I'm, I'm not talking about deadbeats or even going to try and define what might make a deadbeat because I'm not going to, not going to judge any mom here today, but as long as you're making an attempt and being wise and, and reaching out for wisdom and knowledge where you need it, where you may lack it, be it parenting, be it financial savvy, be it anything, you know, if your heart is open to a child, then be smart. Get your finances in order. Make sure that you're eating really well. Um, get the support that you need in whatever form that takes uh, as far as prenatal care and everything goes. But if your heart's open to a child, then now is a good time. And we're, we're running out of time too, so I won't go into it a lot in detail. But I do think that giving your child a sibling or siblings or many siblings and all the love that goes with that is of great benefit to your child. So even if your child has an Irish twin and we might say that he or she has lost out on something because of that, the love uh, that they get from their sibling, the chance that they get to see you serve their sibling with love and just the the relationships that can grow. And yes, you're going to have to consciously foster that and it may not seem apparent in that crazy hectic newborn time. But as you work on fostering joy and gratefulness and love in your family, your children all benefit from that. And they benefit from that from each other. And that's a great, great gift. So I'm not going to say that those of you ladies who have chosen to have an only child are making a wrong choice. But I do want to affirm that those of you ladies who are thinking about having another child that that's a good thing. So think about what matters to you. Um, Think about milk supply. Think about nutrition. Think about finances. And then decide what feels right for you and your family. And that is the right child spacing for you. Okay, one more time before before we head out, I would like to remind you to check out uh, the Healthy Wealthy Wise giveaway. Again, the benefit for me and for all the other contributors is that we get more eyeballs, um, more eyeballs on us. The benefit for you is that you get tons of freebies. I highlighted several of those that are great for moms. So please do go ahead and check those out. You can go to birthbabylife.com slash HWW birthbabylife.com slash HWW to check that out. I look forward to look forward to maybe being on the webinars and stuff with you. And I will look forward to talking with you on the podcast next week. Please have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. 
For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.